Will you bow your heads with me and pray? God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to be together, Lord, and for many of us, we're still basking in the glow of the celebrations, Lord, of, of Christmas and, and time with family and friends, Lord, but also we know that <clears throat> there are times, Lord, where or there, there are people or for whom this time is difficult, and we ask for an extra measure of your mercy and your grace for all, Lord, who are grieving today. We pray for an opportunity to gather in your presence and to worship you with joy in our hearts. So it's in Christ's name that we pray. Our scripture this morning uh, comes from John's Gospel, and we're continuing in our our journey through uh, the Gospel of John. We've been in John for many, many months now, over a year, and uh, we are continuing with this text where Jesus and his disciples are gathered together in in this room, and they've celebrated the Last Supper. They've they've uh, seen Judas go off, and he's in the process of betraying Jesus right now. And Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples, and he's continuing to share with them um, what's about to happen. And of course, they're they're not getting it exactly. And he's been been speaking with them, and we're we're nearing uh, the end of this discourse. But this is where we find ourselves today. And we're going to start in chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by saying, A little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 
This is our scripture this morning, and we're blessed today because, uh, oh, kids view, yes, I'm, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Uh, if you are three through third grade, go ahead and head upstairs to kids view, you guys are going to have a great time. They're like, Pastor Keith, you're making us sit here way too long. We want to go upstairs and party, right? So we're blessed this morning. Uh, the, week, the week after Christmas, we, op- we like to bring in uh, old, old, fr- old friends and familiar faces. And, and today we've got uh, a, a person who grew up in this church, actually. Doug Cloven was raised in Marion, was a Marion High graduate, and uh, spent a lot of time running around here in this church. And I, I got to know Doug, you know, many, many years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, when, get this, he used to drive an hour, if not more, every single Wednesday night to come to the church where I was youth pastor in Davenport to hear me preach every single Wednesday night. Can you believe he would do that? He used to do that. I mean, as an added bonus, his beautiful girlfriend Elizabeth was there. But, you know, that was just sort of a bonus. He came for me, right, Douglas? Yeah. And I've got to know Doug very well over the years. His family is like family to me. And uh, Doug has grown up in the Summer Games movement, which is the shirt. Everyone wonders, why are you wearing this goofy T-shirt? Um, but this is our T-shirt that is uh, kind of, uh, it bears a slight resemblance to Doug. This is our Summer Games historian, Carl Fergus, kind of Doug's alter ego. And uh, so I wear that in honor of him today. And, and Doug is the uh, one of the lead pastors of, of what's called... Uh, First Love, and First Love is, is a house church that's in Iowa City, and they gather together and, and study God's Word, and they just have a wonderful time. So we are blessed to welcome back to, uh, to uh, First United Methodist Church here in Marion, one of our own, Doug Cloven. So let's hear it for Doug. Let's pray for Doug. God, we thank you so much for uh, our brother Douglas, Lord, and we ask today that as he comes to share uh, what you've placed on his heart, Lord, that uh, it would be your words speaking through him. God, fill him with your Holy Spirit and allow our hearts and minds and ears to hear what you would speak to us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hello. Thanks for having me. Although I'm sure you had no choice in the matter, so that's all right. I'll act like you did. Uh, I I just, I, it's weird for me to be back here, and I haven't realized how long it had been since I was here last. I had to walk through the hallways. Last Sunday, I did that. I was walking through the hallways and just kind of uh, remembering a lot of things. There's this thing on the internet called Childhood Walks, and what it is is uh, you walk you think of a, a childhood walk that you used to take when you were young, one that you took all the time, many times, from your house to school or to uh, a friend's house or parent, grandparent, whatever. Any, any walk you took several times, and then you go on Google Maps on the street view, and you click through that exact same walk, and without fail, every time you do this, a memory will hit you, and you'll remember something that happened along that walk. It's pretty amazing. I, I invite you to try it out. But... That's what it was like for me to be walking through these hallways again. I was remembering lots of things. In fact, one of the things that was very strange was I felt, uh, as I was walking through this hallway, I remember when the chapel was being built. How many of you were here when the chapel was being built? Not very many. All right. All right. You guys are cool. 
Uh, well, when the chapel was being built, there was no wall there where the chapel now, the walls of the chapel, it was like tarps and it was cold. It was wintertime and those tarps were holding the, the heat in and it was freezing cold. And I remember as I was walking through, I thought, I remember that. I remember that when I was outside, uh, in the, the, this North X thing, uh, right outside, what street is that? I don't know. I should know that. I don't know. Whatever street that is, I was walking on the sidewalk and the church is right here on my right, and then the stairs going up. And I remembered, as I was walking in last Sunday, this is where I scraped my toe. I remembered it. Clear as day. You're laughing. This is true. I was wearing flip-flops, and I was running. And I was always told, never do that. Now I understand why. Because when I was running, I skidded my toe on the ground. It was so painful. Ask my wife. I still hate to wear flip-flops, don't I? I hate flip-flops because of that memory. And I didn't remember why until I was walking out there. I encourage you to try that out. It's a very interesting little practice. But yeah, I grew up in this church. Uh, it was a big investment for this church to raise me the way they did. I was in the choir. Uh, I don't know if you still do musicals. There was a musical once that we did. And uh, somebody was dressed up as a huge book, salt, Salty. I had no clue why Salty started with a P. It was very confusing to me as a youngster. Uh, but it was after the book of Psalms I later found out. I remember being uh, in the puppets. Uh, I was in the clown group once, at least. They let me play the chimes once, but I don't think I was in chimes. That would have been a bad idea. I, I remember Sunday school's... I used to sing here a lot. When I was young, I used to sing all the time. Uh, the pastor who was here before, Pastor Mike, his name is Stan Wearson. Does anyone remember Stan, just out of curiosity? Okay, more of you remember Stan. Good. So you'll get it. You explain to the person next to you. Uh, if you've never met Stan, for those of you didn't, that didn't raise your hand, Stan, how do I describe Stan? Stan was a character, but more like a cartoon character. He was, and I love him, Don't, it, it, I say that with love in my heart, that he was just so rambunctious, and for this old, small man, so full of energy, and, uh, and, and it was just so, he was, he was a beautiful pianist. He would play piano, and he would have me sing songs after his sermons. And so, he once told me, if you're ever concerned that your sermon's not going to be any good, just have someone sing a song at the end. They won't remember your sermon at all. They'll remember the song. They'll come up afterwards and say, thank you for the beautiful music. And I felt like I was singing every Sunday. <laughs> I mean, all the services. And you'd think when I'm through all those services, because I have to sit through all of them and then sing at the end, I would remember some of his sermons. But I can't. I can't remember any of those sermons. I do remember stories. There was one that Stan loved to tell. Um, when he played piano, it was, like I said, beautiful pianist. But he's the kind of pianist that he didn't need music, but he used it sometimes, but he didn't really need to. And so he would, we would practice, and I've never practiced any song as much as I practiced when I was singing with Stan. And he would play it, and we'd sing it ten times in a row. I mean, so much practice. And then when we did it that Sunday morning, he would not use the music. And it was like a completely new song to me. 
And always he would add a solo, a piano solo that, that I never heard, that we never practiced before. But I remember this one time, this is a true story, this one time he went on for, it seemed like forever, his piano solo. It was so long, and I just thought, oh my gosh. And you, everyone, because when he plays, it's so beautiful. And everyone's watching, and I'm standing here terrified, just staring, because the piano was right here, and I was like, just staring at him. When do I come back in? And he gives me the nod, and I come back in, and we're singing. And, uh, but then he took a second piano solo, and I was just blown away by that, thinking, okay, that's too much. And afterwards I said, Stan, why do we even practice if you're just going to change everything? And he thought that was very funny. And he said, my mom's in the crowd too, okay? So you're not the only one trying to show off here. And I thought, I thought his mom really was in the crowd. I was like, okay. <laughs> but I would always sing in the Christmas Eve services. And it was for years and years, I, I, it felt like I was singing at the Christmas Eve service. And I hated the midnight service. Do you guys go to the midnight service? It seems like the group that would, yes. I hated it. And I was young. And this one specific Christmas, he loved telling this story. He rented us white tuxedos to wear. Me and this other boy, I was doing a duet for Oh Holy Night. There was a tailor shop across the street, and he took us over there after practice one day, and he measured us, or not him, but the tailor did, and we got these white tuxedos to wear, and I sang right here in this little area, and he swears, in the middle of Oh Holy Night, I fell asleep while I was singing, finished the song beautifully, and then woke up and didn't remember any of it. And he loved telling that story. Every time I, he would introduce me to somebody, he would tell that story. He told it to my parents. I mean, he, it didn't matter who he was telling it to. And I started to believe it after hearing it so many times. I was like, oh, man, I, I'm surprised I could do that, you know. But that's just how Stan was. He loved telling stories. He was that kind of guy. Yet, as I think about all the sermons he gave, I can't remember any of them, which is strange. Maybe you're like me. And in 10 years, you won't remember my sermon, although I expect you to. But you know what I do remember are the talks we had. He would sit me down when we had practice for a song I was going to sing. He would sit me down in a chair just like this one, and he would just talk to me. He would teach me things. about life, about people, about God. about myself. I remember those. There was a time during one of those talks that he said, the world is going to tell, try to tell you who you are. Don't let them. He was right.
I was told that I was a failure. That I was not good enough, not qualified. I was told that I wasn't tall enough to play in the NBA. I know. Crushed my dreams. It's funny. I mean, we laugh about it, and we can. There are so many things, but at the time, it was so important to me. And I think about why we really practiced. Because there were times where I couldn't come on a Sunday and I couldn't sing the song he wanted me to sing. So he'd find something else for me to do. I had to mow his lawn, and then I'd sit down and he'd talk to me. One time he called me and he said, Douglas, I need you to come and fill this hole in my backyard. I was like, the four-by-four hole? Yeah, how'd you know that? Well, you had me dig it two weeks ago, so I remember the hole. You told me it was for something very important. And then I'd come. I saw blisters. I'd fill the hole back in, and then I'd sit down, and he would talk to me, and he would tell me things. I think about what the disciples were going through in this moment in John chapter 16. So much. They've gotten to see Jesus do so much, and they've heard him speak, and he's spoken so much truth into their life. And yet just now they're saying, now we believe that you are from God. And he even says, oh, now you believe? And in just a few verses, Jesus is going to be taken away and then killed. And this thing that they now believe, this truth that they now believe, and they say, we get it now. This is the truth. When he is killed, they're going to forget that truth. Or they're going to believe a half-truth. Or they're going to believe a lie in that grief that he's talking about. Isn't that true of us? You know, this church, even though it may not have been you, was investing truth into my life for years before I was ever a Christian. I only became a Christian the summer after my junior year of high school. And then I was here my senior year, but mostly I was in Davenport because there was a cute girl there, and so I was driving there Wednesdays and most Sundays. So I wasn't actually here anymore once I became a Christian. So all that investment, all those, those uh, Sunday school teachers and those talks where I was taken out of the Sunday school room and put in a hallway and talked to directly by the Sunday school teacher, and, and those talks with Stan and, and all the sermons and everything was an investment. It was telling me truth so that when I met those crises of faith or crisis of identity, I could remember them. And I did. There are two things that I I really want for you to remember. Not necessarily remember, because again, I don't expect any of you to remember this, this talk in 10 years. I think that the early service, the 745 service will, because as I first started to talk about Stan, who has passed away, I started crying. They'll remember that, that sermon, I promise you. In 10 years, they'll go, we remember Doug. 
Oh my gosh, bring tissues if he is going to come back again. But you probably won't. But there are two things I want you to remember. Let me just be someone who invests in you. One. Your identity does not change. You are sons and daughters of God. Nothing takes that away. Our roles change. We're fathers and mothers. Our careers, those things change and can be taken away. And that's what causes these identity crises that we have. Because we believe that those things are our identity, but they're not. Our identity is in God. I'll give you an example. President Obama has two daughters. Now, if one of them became a general and one of them became a school teacher, and they both walked up to the White House and said, we'd like to speak to the president. A general, you would think, yeah, let him through. But a teacher? Would you just let them through the security to go walk right up to the president? Yes. Why? Because she's his daughter. It's the same of you. There's nothing you can do. There's no success you can hit. There's no building you can build or number of free lunches you can serve or number of baptisms you can do that will make God say, now you're my son. Now you're my daughter. You just are. Even if you never help someone again, he loves you that much. I want you to know that. That's the one. Because I don't think that we remember that enough. You know, that idea of a mentor is to point us back to truth. That's a truth. But that doesn't mean we act that way all the time. It doesn't mean we act in that truth, that we believe that truth, that the actions we make and take reflect that truth. And so let me point you back at it. The other one is this. Mentor people. Young people. Young people find mentors. I know that when I was sitting in that chair, I mean, Stan was like 150 years old. And actually, I remember one time we celebrated his birthday, and I thought, you're only 65? You know, when you're young, it's just your concept of age. I know that when I was sitting in that chair, I didn't always want to be there. I had other things I wanted to do. There were times he had to pay me. He's like, oh, mow my lawn, I'll pay you 20 bucks. I'm like, okay, now I'll come to be there. But you know the key difference between a mentor and a relationship? A mentor, you want to learn from them. That when they're speaking, you believe it. I don't think that's true of us most of the time. I think most of the time when someone's speaking to us, even from a pulpit, we're like, Tell me something I don't know. Impress me. Because I know as much as you or more. I mean, think about it. Think about the people, even their family, you have to love them. You know, these are the things we really think most of the time in most relationships. 
I know as much as them. But a mentor, we're saying, teach me something. Share a story with me. Something that I can understand. And so for young people, I'm saying, look for those people. And for the older group, I'm saying, find those kids. Find those young people. It doesn't have to be kids. I have a mentor. I meet with them every two weeks. And it is invaluable to me and to my faith. And so in 10 years, when you have forgotten who I am, well, that's unlikely. You'll remember me. But when you've forgotten this sermon I've given and the song I'm going to sing, that's the part you, you might remember. I hope that within the next 24 hours you've found a mentor. And that even though you've forgotten what I talked about today, you made that choice. And that that has impacted your life and your faith from then on. Because it has for me. Stan was one of many mentors in my life. And I pray you have them as well. Let's pray. Father, we ask for encouragers and mentors to rise up around our young people. That they will speak truth to them. that they will love and that we will see ourselves as your children, God. Not based on how much we've earned or how much we've done to deserve your love, but that we just know how much you love us because we're your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, as we, uh, as we learn about what it means to have mentors, God, we know that you mentored those disciples, that you mentored those men, Lord, for three years, and yet at times they still struggle to believe. And Lord, we pray that as we look back on that story, God, 2,000 years later, we know about the cross, we know about the empty tomb, Lord, we pray that we, would, that we would have faith that holds strong when the trials of life come, Lord. Because you promised us, Lord, that even though there would be trouble in this life, that you have overcome this world and all the troubles that we face. So, Lord, help us today to walk with that confidence, Lord, that we know that because the world cannot identify or d- define our identity for us. Lord, that anytime we want to, we can walk up to the gate of the throne room of heaven and say we want to speak to our dad. And God, you'll be there for us. So help our hearts to be turned toward you, Jesus. Help us to remember 
exactly what you want us to remember today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.